on this episode of Not Normal. Now, almost immediately after moving in, the Lutz family started experiencing strange phenomena. I was the demon the whole time. Gosh, that's the ending of a terrible Scooby-Doo show. The real demon is the friends he made along the way. This looks like a, so it looks like a little girl with uh, shining, glowing eyes. I know I picked up I picked up Paranoid from Walmart and um, I, I bought myself a robe and built an altar out in the woods pretty much the next day. So yeah, it's true. Uh, if you have a good deal on a murder house, you know maybe consider it, but maybe maybe take a step back from any weird shit that you're into. Hello. Lisa, I'm not afraid of ghosts. I'm so scared. Paranormal, is that what they're calling your kind these days? Well, I mean, let's face it. You're not exactly normal, are you? I myself am strange and unusual. It's not exactly a normal world, is it? Envision Podcasting, in association with The Venture Project, presents... Not normal. It's showtime. Welcome to Not Normal, the only paranormal podcast being recorded from two buildings, which the tenants are pretty sure are haunted, but in which nothing actually happens. Facts. Sort of like, sort of like watching the Amityville horror on mute. Um, <laughs> Captions do do wonders, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm Randy Stroop, paranormal researcher and former field investigator, and uh, with me, as always. I'm AJ Armstrong. I have zero qualifications to be the host of the show. <laughs> Absolutely none. No qualifications at all. Other than I think ghosts are fascinating. Uh, he could basically be the vice president. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. Did he just go there? Yes. You can't I do that. You can't did. do that, Randy. Oh, I'm such a bastard. Today, we're looking at one of the most famous American hauntings of the 20th century, and it all starts in December of 1975. Sort of. Good year. Good year. I wasn't born yet. Pink uh, Floyd just starting to make their run. Good times. I know I sound old, but I wasn't born just yet. It was the winter of that year that the Lutz family, George, Kathy, and their three children, moved into a beautiful waterfront house in Amityville, New York. Now, at 4,000 square feet, and as mentioned on the water, the $80,000 price tag was just too good to pass up, despite the home's sordid history. Ooh. That'll get you a trailer park now. That's uh, Not even a park. It'll get you a trailer, single trailer. Get you a trailer, maybe maybe a place to park it. Maybe a oh, double wide, I don't know. Probably not on the waterfront, though. Uh, <laughs> now, almost from the get-go, Kathy, as well as some family friends, felt uneasy about the house, and so the family invited a priest to bless the property as the family moved in. According to George Letts, the priest felt a hand slap him and heard a voice say, get out. This would be the beginning of a month from hell that would ultimately drive the Letts family from the house. Now, almost immediately after moving in, the Lutz family started experiencing strange phenomena. That started off simply enough, as you might expect, cabinets slamming shut, the occasional strong odor wafting through the home. But things escalated quickly, as they say. The Lutz family claiming doors were being ripped from their hinges and slime was oozing from the ceiling. George also said he would wake suddenly from his sleep at 3.15 every morning. Now, keep that time in mind as we move forward. Things started getting personal as George would hear the beds of his children being lifted off the ground and slammed back down, but he was unable to do anything as an unseen force held him paralyzed. Kathy was physically transformed into an old woman on occasion and once levitated off the bed. After 28 days, the Lutz family, unable to take it anymore, moved out of their newly acquired dream home. So 
what happened? What the hell happened in the Amityville house? Was there even truth? I know about the Amityville horror? Oh, yeah. The non qualification, zero resume bullets. <laughs> Dude, this is wild. So she was turning, she turned old and young and stuff, and the kids are getting levitated. Yeah. Allegedly. I think maybe George just sobered up. <laughs> Holy shit, my wife turned into an old woman. 1975, the birth of acid and mushrooms. <laughs> Came a time when we saw a lot of ghosts. <laughs> it just took four children before the beer goggles wore off for George Letts. And uh, <laughs> I finally figured out my wife was an old hag and I got the raw deal. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> I married a young chick this whole time. <laughs> uh, now we may find some answers to what happened in the home's history. Now, as most people probably know, the Lutz family moved into that home just one month after a young man, Ronnie DeFeo Jr., was convicted of murdering his entire family in that very house. Wow. No wonder they got it for a steal for trailer park prices. Right. Now, the DeFeo case was notorious at the time. Ronnie, 23, murdered his entire family, both uh, both parents and four siblings with a shotgun. The beginning of this massacre, November 13th at 1974 at 3.15 a.m. Hmm. Now, DeFeo tried to plead insanity, saying there were voices telling him his family planned to kill him. But his story changed a number of times over the years, with him finally telling a reporter there was no demon. The demon was me. Ronnie died in prison last year at the age of 69. It was I. I was the demon the whole time. Gosh, that's the ending of a terrible Scooby-Doo show. The real demon is the friends you made along the way. Uh, <laughs> Well, you never know. I mean, maybe demon the demon could have kept it, just lived in there. And just he's just the the host to the parasitic demon, and uh, uh, maybe that's his reveal. Going all Denzel Washington falling on me now. Is that is that what happens in that movie? Much I happens. always thought Denzel Washington would be a fantastic character to play or actor to play me in a, in a biopic. I yeah. When I when I see you, I think Denzel. That's what um, most people say. Absolutely. They, they say Denzel Washington should play AJ in a biopic. Absolutely. All right. So we're, we're, we're pretty clear so far. Now, a few, a few other facts that, that should be noted. George Lutz, according to his son, had a history of dabbling in the occult. Mm. And it should be noted now, uh, David. Like what is, kind of stuff did he do? He doesn't. Nobody ever really goes into it. Ouija just, boards. Just and he, he dabbled in occult rituals shit. And drinking goat blood and stuff like that. Yeah, I, just something. His oldest son, uh, who, by the way, hated George, has never, ever, ever on record refuted the claims that George and Kathy made. But he does say that his that, that the old man dabbled in the occult and wonders if perhaps uh, that dabbling was George like, Lutz. That's the dad. That's the dad. And he's and he dabbled in the occult or the yes. son did. Oh, OK. Uh, his son, David, was 10 at the time. Yeah, so he probably wasn't getting into Satan yet. No. Yet. No, no. Uh, heavy metal was still new, so so that wasn't yeah. bringing... <laughs> Metallica's 10 years, you know, before Metallica shows up. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. nobody's... Uh, the, the youth aren't being drawn to Satan just yet. Well, Ozzy was um, around, you know. Maybe that's, that's what, maybe that's all he did. He just listened to a couple Black Sabbath records, and all of a sudden, he's part of the occult now. I know I picked up I picked up Paranoid from Walmart and um, I, I bought myself a robe and built an altar out in the woods pretty much the next day. So yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> almost as bad as Chuck Berry moving his hips. That's right. Uh, after telling it's their the story, devil's music, anyway. I was like that that comic where uh, somebody says that's the devil's music, 
and then the devil shows up and grabs all the records and just walks away. <laughs> like this is my music, damn you! You guys uh, took it this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. So you had my Kenny G. Well, interesting. Okay, so George was dabbling in the occult, and he's been in the home for barely any time at all, and they're starting to see these bizarre things like. His wife is aging. His kids are being levitated in their beds. Meanwhile, in, in they fact, bought this house for a steal because it was a serial killer's prior residence. Right. Probably still undergoing a trial at the time. Uh, no, the trial had he, he was convicted a month previous. Okay. So, wow. Interesting. So he was literally convicted a month later. The house sold to the Lutzes for 80 grand. Yeah. Can you imagine that agent? This house will never sell. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Jackpot. Hey, suckers. Uh, we got some suckers. They thought they got it for a deal. Turns out Lutz is German for sucker. Uh, <laughs> well, here, but here's some interesting stuff because, I mean, as the years have gone by, a lot of different things have been perused, have been looked over, and skeptics have kind of um, said, well, this, this probably isn't true. In fact, uh, William Weber, who was uh, DeFeo's attorney, got together with the Lutzes. And in fact, the, the beginning of the Amityville horror happened when uh, Weber approached the Lutzes to discuss the houses. He was beginning his book on the DeFeo murders. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he fell out with them over money issues. He came out in 1979, claiming that the three of them came up with the Amityville horror novel over many bottles of wine. Yeah. And they basically just got drunk and made shit up. Yeah, that's exactly what you and I would do if we were that. Well, at least I definitely would do that in the, if that situation. Yeah, absolutely. I, no. I'm not going to let this haunting not be capitalized on in some way. We're going to monetize this haunting in one way. And that's an important point. And we're going to get there. Uh, as usual, you're jumping ahead because you're Sorry. just that smart. The Venture uh, Project. Damn it. Got to monetize things. <laughs> that's right. Uh, now, Daniel, the son, uh, mentioned that, in fact, Within two hours of moving in, he was bringing a box up to what would be his room and saw hundreds of hundreds of flies on the windows. He started swatting them and they just kept coming. So he finally called for his mom. They go in there. All the flies, including the dead ones, are gone. This is according to uh, Daniel, who, again, 10 years old at the time. It's like a really fat Geico gecko just sitting over in the corner. Just just like, that's right. And I might eat all the flies. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> by the way, by uh, by Geico. Yeah. Now it should be noted as well. The the various owners of the house after the Lutz family moved out in 1976 have had or reported no problems at all. Uh, James Cromarty, uh, who bought the house in 1977, lived there with his wife Barbara for 10 years, said nothing weird ever happened except for the people dropping by because of the book and the movie. So. He never experienced any kind of haunting phenomenon. Yeah, that's and that's an interesting point, right? You'd think that this would keep going on in haunting couples for generations or whatever. Well, and especially since, and I'm going to show you this later, uh, there were, after the Lutzes moved out, they st- but they still obviously owned the home, uh, they had a whole bunch of parapsychological researchers into the house, uh, into what one person described as like a parapsychology slumber party. And uh, psychics and, and paranormal How do we get invited to these? Why the hell are we not invited to these? Well, this it's not like the 70s anymore. And yeah, there's um, no, no more acid and shrooms just living, sitting out on people's, you know, cocktail tables. 
Yeah. I don't even think I, I, I like, I like to think that they all got around, had some fondue, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe a little glass of cheap ass white wine, played guitar naked, singing Rolling Stones covers <laughs> and just kind of looked for ghosts. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of evidence did come out of that. We will get to that uh, momentarily, but, and I, I want to point this out too, because, you know, the lessons are getting kind of crapped on by people, you know, obviously it's never happened. It's never happened since. DeFeo has since gone online as uh, gone on record, as I said, uh, before he died last year in jail at the age of 69. Last year, like 2021? Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, he was 69 years old, finally died. Well, what was his prison. story up until his confession? Was that he was possessed or? Uh, he, that he was possessed, that, uh, there, that, that, that he had feared for his life. Uh, his mother's side of the family had some ties to a, a, a gang family, uh, which actually is true. And all this other stuff, basically, though, you know, what it came down to was that he was a bastard. He was just a he was just an asshole uh, who decided to murder you his murder family. your family. I think you earned the title of asshole. Yeah, he's never actually gone into exactly what his real motives were up until which the day is also died. weird. Yeah. Up until the day he died, he never actually went into his motives. It was just I did it. It was me. It was all me. I chose to do it and I did it. And that's, yeah, as see, much that's as weird. We like, ever really uh, got from him as far as and- the truth. But that's kind of weird because like in the 70s was kind of the birth of a lot more of the criminal kind of mind science, right? When the FBI was just launching at that time and they started getting behind understanding serial killers and what they were like. So you'd think that over the decades, there would be some kind of, you know, motive reveal of sorts from criminal psychologists studying this guy. Yeah. And I mean, the, 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 the ideas, the theories have been all over the map from uh, maybe the father was abusive, either physically or sexually, any number of things. The, the, the abuse angle is obviously the one that's been most uh, most touted. But DeFeo, if that was true, never, ever confirmed it. Huh. And obviously nobody in his family was left alive to do so. That's weird. I, I mean, that's just the, the weirdness is the story was consistent up until the year before he died. But then he says, the demon is me. I am the demon. That doesn't necessarily rule out anything that he wasn't or is not still possessed, you know? Well, he's not now. He's dead now. Yeah. Yeah, he's gone. But if he was possessed, you know, that demon could still be living in him. And I mean, that's, I think, consistent with at least what we've seen in in biblical practice, too, with demons. Uh, It's not necessarily like there's just some ghost, like like a virus that just infects you, but it's more of a state of mind that infects you. See, now we're talking about now. Now we're talking about fallen again. Yeah, uh, you, you really yeah. need to watch that movie. Uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come up with my own storyline and take credit for it. <laughs> uh, so what we're left with is a bunch of questions because the Lutzes have come out and said, well, OK, not everything in the book was true. Some of the stuff was fabricated. The slime thing was was a fabrication, you know, for example. But most of the stuff they said was true. Uh, I should mention, though, however, the priest that they mentioned in the story, the guy who came to bless the house. Now, in the book, they gave him a different name, but his real name was Father Pecoraro. Now, he stated in an affidavit, a sworn affidavit, that he'd only had contact with the Lutzes over the phone. Hmm. So He's a priest, so you want to take his word for it. Yeah, so his sworn testimony is that he never even went to the house. So how how do you bless the house through the phone? Like, just, uh, hey, put on speaker, let me tell these ghosts off. Right, right. You know, like. Uh, yeah, however, however he chose to do it now that, you know, that they did call a priest is telling. Yeah. 
you know, at least we do know that they did call a priest. However, especially for a family like the wife was a lapsed Catholic, but she was still, you know, within that tradition. It was not at that time necessarily unheard of or weird even to be moving into a brand new house and and want to have the home blessed, especially with all the you know negative energy that would have been surrounding the house before the Lutz family moved in. You know, asking for a blessing or some kind of a cleansing would not have been necessarily unheard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's but I don't understand how asking for a blessing qualifies anything, right? I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, they did so whether it's you know because they felt uneasy or just because. Again, that was just sort of a thing you did because the house had some wonky history and they wanted to enter the home with a new sense of peace. I, I mean, if there if a totally guy murdered his that. entire family in my house and claimed a demon possessed him, I would at least ask the priest to come inside, you know. <laughs> right. Just just, you know, you, can you make a trip down here? Just I'm awfully busy right now. Look, can you do it? I understand you're in. I understand you're inconvenienced by this demon that could be living in my home, but could you please just? Oh, I'll give you a phone call. That's really all I got time for today. <laughs> Turns out the voice actually said, "Hang up." But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe he was freaked out. Maybe he's like, "I'm not even touching that crap." <laughs> not going over there. You insane. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, however, the Lutzes did share their story multiple times. They've never recanted. Their son, David, who, again, hated George, never recanted. Uh, to this day, claims that um, the house ruined his life. He continues to have nightmares. It's, you know, he, he, he thinks that his nightmares and everything that, that, that went on there is responsible, at least in some way, for the fact that he is restrained from his wife and hasn't really been able to live a normal life. That's very interesting. I, I think that's actually, a, in my opinion, a strong piece of evidence is that he hasn't changed his story um, as a child unless he like, you know, sometimes as a kid too, if you've like convinced yourself to believe something for so long, you actually change your memory of it. Right. Uh, And that gets to the next little bit. Uh, George and Kathy took a lie detector test Hmm. and they both passed. Interesting. And the lie detector test was actually administered. I don't don't remember the name of the guy. Uh, It was actually administered by one of the top three lie detector technicians in the country at the time. Hmm. and they both passed the test. So that's a little piece of evidence here. Doesn't change the fact that they've been lying to themselves for decades. Yeah. You know? Right. I mean, they did fabricate some stuff. We do know that. Uh, we do have it on pretty good authority that George himself was into the occult. You know, now this brings us some questions because, you know, the, the big question is if something was happening to the Lutzes, given all the evidence, what the hell happened there? Yeah. and. You know, if you take the fact that George was into the occult and sort of had an imagination that bent that way, was was the stepfather really of four children who were impressionable, uh, was by some accounts a fairly abusive and and overbearing man. You know, is it is it possible that all of this, plus they're moving into this house with all this negative energy in it, is it possible that what we have here is like a perfect spiritual storm? that whether an actual intelligent entity or not conjured something that manifested during their stay there. So you're thinking they almost uh, willed this into existence in a way. Yeah. You know, I, I go back to, uh, I go back to, uh, you know, the Philip experiment yeah. and uh, some, some of these ideas, you know, is, is it possible that, that, that what they actually got 
is almost a a result of their own psyches uh sort of at war and manifesting this stuff i mean that makes a lot of sense because i mean like you're saying the guy dances i mean the the prompt is that you're moving into a house where a guy claimed the demon possessed him so right off the bat you know this is going to be weird right and even if you're someone that is skeptical or doesn't believe in that stuff anyway you're already like this is weird so that's front of mind you invite a priest in so you're clearly eh, maybe or at least over the phone um so you're at least maybe something is going on well and the wife is a lapsed catholic so that tradition is in there right then you've got a patriarch of the family that practices occult behavior so that's you're, you're right you're creating a recipe right now for a perfect philip experiment yeah i you know and, and it could and it could i it honestly could go that way or the other way which is that all of that sort of negative shit combined to just invite something there yeah like we could either if it's a if this story has been fabricated to a level of belief or if the energy behind it has invited some kind of spiritual entity to f with them right yeah i i think the, i think the moral of that story is stop <laughs> stay stay away from all that shit if you if you if you if you have a good deal on a murder house you know maybe consider it but maybe maybe take a step back from any weird shit that you're into i get uh, it I, I get <laughs> i get the deal on the murder house all right yeah i've made a lot of money in real estate doing other things. Right. But that, that, that's interesting, but yeah, but like, why would you want to start taunting the spirits? Right. And I think is that what, that's what we're getting at. Like you gotta be crazy. Yeah. And I don't even know if, you know, and I don't even know if they actually taunted or tried to taunt. And again, it's hard to say because, you know, they'll say that the bulk of their story is true, but they've never gone down line by line and said, what's fabricated and what's not. Right. You know, so the slime from the walls, the slime from the walls, everybody's pretty sure was fabricated. Yeah. Um, some of the other stuff I'm pretty sure was, was fabricated, you know, and some of the stuff even had, you know, could have natural explanations, you know, the flies is a, is it entirely possible that there were flies, uh, in the kids room? Absolutely. Keep in mind, this is waterfront property. Yeah. There's lots of bugs. There's lots of bugs. And if, uh, you know, they talk about weird smells, my hunch is it probably smelled like carcasses or death again waterfront property so what are the so what are the the claims from the family versus what has also been pushed into hollywood and pop culture well uh let's see um let me see if i can if i can get some of these other claims uh daniel described uh, they were returning from shutting the garage and they looked up at his five-year-old sister's bedroom window saw uh, what Daniel described as the cartoon character of an angry pig with wolf-like teeth and laser beam red eyes. <laughs> uh, the reason they were out in the garage is that the entire family was standing there watching the garage door slamming up and slamming down, slamming up and slamming down again. On another occasion, mom was treating Daniel's injured hand after a window had mysteriously crashed down on it. Daniel described an invisible spirit entering the kitchen, knocking over a knife and sitting at the table, even making an impression in the padded vinyl seat. Uh, George talks about how the last night the family spent in the house, his wife's face temporarily transformed into that of an old crone, and then she levitated off the bed. Daniel 
claimed that uh, Christopher and himself, Christopher was the brother, also levitated off their beds and woke up with our footboards smashing each other and banging off the ceiling. Jeez. So lots and lots of stuff. And this is the family's account. This is the family's account. So this is, I, 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 I tend to believe those things probably could have happened yeah. or they thought happened. Now, uh, uh, Daniel Lutz made a, you know, made a lot of these claims in a uh, fairly recent documentary, in fact, uh, back in 2013, maybe a little after that. Yeah, about 2013. A uh, documentary called "My Amityville Horror," in which the uh, the documentary the, the documentarian uh, talks at length with uh, with Daniel Lutz and also explores uh, some of what the psychic investigations uh, undertook. Uh, now he approaches it as a skeptic, but he says, according to the director, it had to be something terrifying that would drive a family from their home after 28 days. Yeah, right. Which is also a good point. That, that that is a good point because I don't know about you, Randy, but I have moved several times in my life. Moving I, sucks. I hate moving almost more than anything in the world, and I could see that being very bizarre to leave, especially after you just bought a home. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do it. So something I think I, I mean I think that there is some level in between nothing happening and what the world has blown up in pop culture and the stories around it have created. And, yeah. and I think that's kind of what I'm interested in figuring out. Well, and this is, and this is the problem with, with this whole thing is that, you know, once, once you fabricate a little bit of something, it calls the entire story into question. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, now we talked about this right at the top. And again, I, I told you you were getting a little bit ahead of me because that does go into one of the theories that I have about this, which is simply that, Exactly as you said, the Lutzes did experience something, realize that they would have to move out, realize that they were kind of screwed because they really didn't have 80 grand to drop on a house to begin with, let alone be moving out and finding a new place to live. And so they decided, hey, let's take this crap situation and turn it into something that we can use. Let's make a profit off of this. Now, granted, that calls their entire story into question because they want to profit off of it. But as you said, it makes some sense. When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Life gives you a haunted damn house and scares you out of it after less than a month. You say, all right, you know what? Let's, let's make a book out of it. And maybe during the conversation, somebody said, you know, this is really interesting, but we're not, it's, it's not necessarily New York Times bestseller material. Let's pad this a little bit. Oh, yeah, I could totally see a creative marketer interviewing and poking and prodding and trying ways of exaggerating aspects of it. And even if the, the, the family had the best intentions in mind to try to make it as true as possible, once you start adding uh, people to the project, they start to, you know, emphasize or overemphasize certain spots. Oh, yeah. And again, you know, like like when they were dealing with this lawyer, you know, there was some drinking involved and like a jello or something fell on the ground and George Lutz kind of looked at it and said, Hey, what if there was green slime coming out of the ceiling, you know? And so, you know, cause I mean, they were, they were drinking, they were starting to have a little bit of fun with it. So a bunch of stuff gets fabricated at that point because, you know, the idea is, okay, you know, we have a true story here. We're going to base this on the true story, but you know, this is 1970, 78 at this time or whatever. 
Hollywood is known for taking basically true stories and adding shit to make them more dramatic. Uh, let's just do that. Yeah. You know, so I can see an argument to be made for maybe something really did happen to the Lutzes, but maybe it wasn't quite sexy enough to be a book all, all on its own. Right. Yeah. I think that's exactly probably what happened. I mean, thinking like the, like the garage door opening and maybe something appearing behind it. I, I believe that. I mean, there could have been lots of explanations, whether it was something paranormal or it was just some mechanical issue, but that could have, I mean, the whole family was standing there watching it. Right. So you, so, you know, each one of them can be pulled into a separate room and talk to and say, Hey, does this, does this really happen? Um, and I think that's interesting. And I think the levitating, I mean, we've heard stories like that a lot from, from different type of paranormal instances. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. Uh, now I've got one more piece of, uh, I, I do have a piece of evidence to show you the, really the only piece of evidence that, to come out of this as far as real evidence. I mean, obviously we have the fact that the Lutzes both passed the lie detector test, which soft evidence, soft yeah. evidence. Yeah. Uh, but then we have this image I'm going to show you right now. This was taken during that investigation that I mentioned. Wow. Where all these psychic investigators, parapsychological investigators got together and investigated. This is the piece of evidence that they caught. This looks like a, so it looks like a little girl with uh, shining glowing eyes. And I think it's safe to assume that when all of these people were here and doing this investigation, the lessons are already moved out, uh, that there were probably, there should have been no children present at the time. Yeah. And, and, but this looks, so I, I guess to, to explain what I'm seeing here is there's a staircase and coming out of one of a dark, a dark room is a small child looks like a girl with bright glowing eyes um, caught in the stairwell. Yeah, or, or at least behind the stairwell and coming behind out of the, the room. stairwell coming out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I think the closer I zoom in, the more it looks like a little boy to me, but, uh, and they, yeah, they all it, described it as a little difficult boy. to tell, um, but yeah, hard to, hard to say for sure with the glowing eyes and all, uh, but I mean, there's definitely a face there. I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not looking at pareidolia there. There's definitely a person there. Yeah. It looks like, uh, when you zoom into, it looks like there's almost kind of skeletal features in the face a little bit. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, now, now we have the question of, okay. How did this kid get into this picture? Is this a bogus piece of evidence or is this uh, an earnestly, honestly shot uh, photograph? Yeah, because you got the first question you're going to have is, is this fake, right? Is it did somebody add this in doctor the photo? The right. second thing people are going to ask is who's to say that that's not just some actor or kid or something that came into the photo, right? Yeah, exactly. So. That's kind of the, that. That's kind of the question. It's a great photo. I mean, if it's if it's valid, it's a great photo. And nobody from that group that I know of has ever come out and said, "No, no, we faked the photo." I don't see why they would. I really don't. I mean, I, I see why they would, or but that doesn't seem like something I think people really want. They, especially people investigating this stuff, don't want to be known that way, right? right. They don't want to be known as people that just come in there and fake things or whatever. So, I, I mean, I, I guess just looking at that, I, I think that probably is real. Okay. So, yeah. And I, and I again, I don't, I don't have any good evidence guess, to say that it's be, not real. Right. I don't have any strong opinion one way or another. It's just, I don't know why, why people that are want to be taken seriously as paranormal investigators would want to fake something. Right. Especially, um, I mean, yes, it was a well-publicized case and all of that, but 
the case would have been well publicized with or without a photograph. And if you present tainted evidence, then you lose you all au- credibility. Well, you automatically have the have the the fear that that said tainted evidence will be exposed. Yeah. And then you're well and truly screwed. So, yeah. Why would you bring tainted evidence when you don't have to bring evidence at all? Yeah. Very interesting. So we've got really kind of I I, I find three compelling pieces of evidence, in my opinion, that photo, the fact that the child who doesn't talk to his father and doesn't like his father still continues to, you know, push this narrative at least. Yeah. So, I mean, at least like those two right off the bat are, I think, pretty interestingly convincing to me. And then I think that just the the different family testimonies that are consistent throughout the entire story as well seems pretty persuasive. Yeah. And the fact that the Lutzes did take the lie detector test, which again. Yeah. Yeah. The lie detector. So I guess there's kind of four, four pieces of evidence. You have you know, story the, consistency. That's the fact that they moved forward. out of the house after 28 days. Yeah. Yes which, and no. Yeah. Well, you I mean, know, I, I think, I think there's a lot of evidence to say something happened there. Yeah. We don't know what necessarily just something really on, scared them. Yeah. Something drove them out of that house. Yeah. You know, so that we, there, so that, that at least, Give you know lends credibility to okay something happened. You know now we're looking into okay as to what actually happened. Uh, now it's worth mentioning the Amityville house. They've changed the uh, facade of the of the home so it no longer looks like the famous Amityville house. Looks completely different. In fact, to this day, nobody nobody has reported any paranormal activity. Now, the the skeptical believer. What's the, the address of this house? Uh, I had it. Uh, something Ocean uh, Drive. I had it in, a, in an earlier incarnation of my notes, and I chose not to put it in there because two reasons. No, first reason is it's very, very easy to find. But second reason is I don't want to accidentally, through any kind of uh, uh, inference, suggest that people actually visit there because it's a private property. And people I think should. we should just buy it. I think we should buy it and make it a museum. And allow people to come in and investigate. That's kind of why I'm actually dead serious. I'm on Zillow. I can can almost guarantee you that the Amityville zoning board would nix that immediately. Why? I can almost guarantee Why They get taxes on the ticket sales, bro. Come on. We can easily (laughs) pitch that. Look, it's right here. (laughs) It's on the top of Wikipedia, guys. So if you can't find this, it's not our fault that you guys are looking for this. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. it's, It's very easy to find the address. But yeah. So nobody else has has gone on the record to say that anything else has happened. In fact, they've been very adamant that nothing has happened. Now, the conspiratorialist could make the claim, could make the argument that maybe, maybe the reason nobody is saying that anything is happening there is because they don't want a circus in their neighborhood. This house is already infamous. Things are just starting to die down, but there are still uninvited guests all the damn time. Maybe they just don't want the circus to deal with the circus of living in that house and having it be haunted. My rebuttal to that idea would be that people aren't moving in and then leaving right away. Right. So like why, like why the Lutz family, right. Is the, the question. Yeah. So, you know, did, did the Lutz family experience something that is just not being experienced anymore? Uh, if they did, did it have more to do with the Lutz family themselves? Or like I said, a, 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 a confluence of 
negative energy in the house that was already there because of the DeFeo murders, plus the Lutz family themselves, uh, that, that sort of manifested something either psychologically or parapsychologically. Or is it just a complete 100% uh, bullshit fabrication, fabrication, either Daniel is in on it or it's just so screwed up from the whole ordeal that his memory says it must be true. You know, those are basically the options we're left with. Yeah, this house looks nothing like it used to look. No, no. They have completely changed this. Yeah. That's a shame. I would totally monetize the living shit out of that. If this Absolutely. is up to me, I would have this, this, this would be a museum. People would be, I'd be selling tickets coming in there. Well, and as we said, I mean, you know, so you can You'd crush it on Airbnb, bro. You Think can forgive, that. you know, I mean, just, just based on that, you can forgive the Lutzes wanted to monetize this if it actually happened to them. Absolutely. But what I would have done was not necessarily, I would have added on, I would have not sold the house. I would have kept the house and turned it into an Airbnb and just taunt the fact that I'm making this up. Well, it was the seventies. They didn't have an Airbnb back then. That's true, but I could rent it out or make it like a little hotel or bed and breakfast. They had those, didn't they? They could have turned it into the DeFeo murder house and sold tickets. Yeah, dude. Think about it. Like today, really ghoulish. you would have this thing maxed out all year long on Airbnb. So yeah, it seems it seems ghoulish to turn it into a DeFeo murder house museum, but I mean the Lizzie Borden home is a museum. You buy tickets to that. So it well, is I mean, ghoulish, I but the, in the uh, sense that Americans are fascinated by this shit for some reason. Well, there's an investor that bought the home alone house and, and turned the entire house into the exact replica from the film. And it's just crushing on Airbnb right now. Oh, absolutely. I imagine. I imagine. Uh, yeah. But this is 770,000 here on Zillow. That's a, I believe a steep it. price. That guy well, who he sold it for what? 80,000, man. He could be crushing it right now. Well, again, you're looking at, you know, waterfront property, like 4,000 square feet, you know, a good sized yard with some outbuildings. I mean, this is a nice property. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. But you know, I guess uh, each to their own. The, they chose the book route, you know, get a book deal, a couple movie deals. I suppose that's the uh, arrival for most people in life. However, back to the story. Yeah. What's interesting is the uh, there. I think, I think back to what we were talking about. There's, there's, there's clearly something that happened in this house. There's clearly stuff that was fabricated and made up some more obvious than others. And what's really interesting is what exactly did happen? Like, what was it that did happen? And that's, what's tough to say. Yeah. Well, and especially with no activity going on right now, it's one of those things where unfortunately, unfortunately, unless somebody comes through who lived it and definitively says this never happened. I don't think we will ever know for sure. Yeah. And, and who's to, who's to say that um, the occult rituals summoned something like you were alluding to earlier. And that was more of a personal thing than it was a, a property or house thing. Right. Right. Well, and that's why I would suggest that maybe, you know, that, that's why I suggest whatever it was had to do with the Lutzes. Because what, what I've what I'm thinking, and this is my running theory in my head, not to say this is right or wrong, I think that the guy that lived there before Defoe was insane, killed his family, you know, had a problem, was not possessed, right? Then I think that you have the mixture of um, Lutz with his weird occult practices, as well as what happened in the house before that everybody knew about the priest blessing it and all these types of things. Um, they either 
invited or summoned some kind of bizarre activity that was probably no more than just uh, they either thought they levitated, some weird doors slamming, the, the garage doors, thinking they're seeing shadows or bizarre creatures or whatever, right? Those types of things. That's And I think that's the extent of probably what they saw and felt. That would be enough to scare them into moving and leaving. Sure. And then once they left, the they either forgot details and filled in with some things, or they had started to confuse in their minds what they had fabricated and what was true. And then obviously you have the additional book on top of it, and then you have the Hollywood on top of it. I think the window of reality is they probably saw something in there. Um, it probably scared the crap out of them. They probably saw bizarre activities going on in the house. And I think that's about it. Yeah. I, and I, and I think you have a good point there. I think that, uh, you know, there was something that happened, how it happened, whether it happened, we can probably, we could probably never be talking about that for hours, but we'll we'll never really know. Uh, something did happen, but I, I think, I think you're dead on what actually did happen versus the stuff that they had to fabricate. You know, somebody once uh, said, and, and it's been quoted a number of times, uh, basically, if if you never lie, you never have to remember the story. Yeah, right. And, you know, they spent so much time fabricating this, coming up with random nonsense that didn't actually happen, but it was all tied in that eventually, even in their own memories, it simply became part of the story. It simply became part of the memory to the yes. point where now they can't remember that it didn't happen that way. Oh, exactly. Right especially as decades pass um, because it's, it's, it's remarkable how unreliable people's memories are. Oh yeah. And if you tell yourself a story long enough, you will believe it. Yeah. And it's not that you're lying. You just don't even know what, what really happened anymore. You convinced yourself that that isn't true anymore. And that the, and that the one living witness who's saying anything on the record, uh, Daniel, you know, that he was 10 when all of this stuff went down, very impressionable child, probably, did have and does have nightmares. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to distinguish that from reality and it gets harder. And, and, if, and if these nightmares are really causing them to have a hard time, even sleeping and, and being able to function, you know, I, I've been an insomniac. I've dealt with sleeplessness. I've dealt with just falling asleep at random. And sometimes when I fall asleep, like if I'm sitting there talking to somebody like my kids and I fall asleep, I slip immediately into REM state. Wow. And so I'm dreaming like immediately. And I remember one time I actually stopped myself. Uh, my kids, I told them to go clean the room and they said, well, my, my, my room is clean. And between me telling them to clean their rooms and them saying my room is clean, I fell asleep and then slipped immediately in the, in the dream state. And I almost answered, I woke up and the answer that was on the tip of my tongue after they said we did clean it was, well, let's see what the giant gnome has to say about that. I don't know why the hell I was about to say that. <laughs> well, I think you're, but you're, but you're, you're shedding some light onto the idea that bizarre, you know, sleep disorders or other things can create the illusion of certain activities in the world. Yeah. And, and, and they can, and they can influence your reality. Yeah. All the LSD and acid aside. That's you a, could, this, all, this could just be a simple, all the drugs I clearly take aside. Uh, <laughs> I'm yeah, as sober I, as a judge in a priest's frock. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. So when, when does Ryan Reynolds hit the scene? Then? Uh, 
in the in the hor- horrendous remake they did sometime before. sometime after James Brolin does yeah, yeah. um you know it's it's funny because uh, uh uh let's George let's just keeps getting better looking as they make these movies I don't know let me think back to like you know back to what we were talking about the one living witness that that still stands by it was 10 years old think back to when you were 10 years old um you'd probably remember how you felt you'd probably remember scared but i mean dude i could easily see how the story would change based on what other people are saying and things absolutely absolutely and i you know I, i feel like that's probably a lot of what we're looking at right here is that something happened, but nobody who's left alive even has a memory that is reliable. Yeah, anymore. right. Yeah. And I mean, I am younger than this guy, clearly, if he's still alive and he was 10. So, like, I have a hard time remembering stuff when I was 10 years old. Um, remembering the way stories go, uh, stories go when, when my parents would retell a story in their way. And I, I'll, I will start to remember the story the way my parents did through their view. Right. And I could see how that could easily happen. So, is that a strong piece of evidence goes back to supporting my point. I think that they were scared. Something happened. They might uh, not remember the details of it or have washed it with other stories that have kind of created the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, uh, I think we agree. And uh, I think we can call that our show for today. If you agree or disagree, let us know. You can email us at uh, not normal pod one. That's the number one at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at, or Instagram at the not normal pod or on Facebook. Just search not normal podcast on Facebook and uh, let us know. Agree or disagree with our conclusions. Or if you've got a story that you would like to uh, share with us that you would like us to check out, we would love to hear from you that way as well. You can also leave a review on pretty much every single platform that exists, uh, whether you're listening on Spotify on good pods uh which uh i looked uh, we're recently at number four on on good pods in the uh, independent that. uh independent spirituality podcasts and uh yeah or if you, of course on uh, apple podcasts leave us a review leave us uh some star ratings however you want to do it and tell your friends we would love to hear from you either way aaron great to talk with you as always until next time Not Normal was recorded at the Venture Project by A.J. Armstrong and edited by Randy Strew for Envision Podcasting. Audio clips downloaded courtesy moviesounds.org and music was from infinitunes.co. Not Normal is copyright to Randy Strew and A.J. Armstrong. (laughs) 